0: Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show. I'm your host, Louis McParlin, and in this podcast, I'm joined by Thomas Wiseman, Eric Devin and Jeremy Smith to review the group stage of the Champions League and Europa League so far, with each of the five French teams competing under the microscope. At the end of the group stage, just two of the teams have managed to progress to the next round, with PSG and Lille having made it to the round of 16 in the UCL and UEL, while Rennes, Marseille and Nice all failed to graduate past the first hurdle. Each of the five teams were in action this week, but let's start with last year's finalists, PSG. Before we go on to discuss the football, though, first we should clear up the goings-on of this week regarding PSG's match against Turkish champions Istanbul Basa Here, The teams faced off on Tuesday, but midway through the first half, play was stopped due to complaints from many of the Turkish side's staff, alleging that the fourth official, Sebastian Kolescu, had used a racial term to describe Istanbul's assistant manager, Pierre Webo after he was adjudged to have had too aggressive a reaction to a a tackle on the pitch. The match was stopped and a lengthy discussion went on at the side regarding what had happened with Istanbul's Dembaba seemingly leading the protests over the alleged incident. Both teams eventually walked off the pitch and the game was rescheduled for the day after, where PSG won 5-1. More on that in a moment. UEFA are leading an investigation into the incident and hopefully whatever happened on the night is ironed out and the punishment, if necessary, fair. I don't want to get into a conversation tonight regarding who said what, because that could get messy and with none of us actually being no... But Pierre-Paul Birmingham raised a good point today to me regarding Tony Chaperon, the ex-French referee. And he was, he brought to light a, an incident that I was actually unaware of. But back in 2011, he was alleged to have used a racial slur against Camille Chaffney. And he said that back then, nothing really came of it. But he just wanted to highlight how far we've come since then with how serious this incident is being taken. So like I said, I hope everything just gets ironed out and finalised UFR. Uh, doing an investigation into it Um, uh, but yes at the moment I believe it's all just conjecture uh, as as to who said what there's no real definitive answer at the moment but hopefully that all gets sorted out sooner rather than later. Right, let's move on to the football game that eventually happened on Wednesday. PSG against Istanbul. PSG winning 5-1 in a rather dominating performance from the Parisians. Neymar getting a hat-trick. Mbappe got a double. Mehmet Topal almost ruined the party, getting goal for Istanbul. But in the end, PSG did manage to claim all three points rounding off their group, winning 5-1. Eric, another dominating performance from Paris just carrying their four men from the United game. It was another stellar performance, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I, I was a little disappointed. I, I, I made the point on Monday that you know if Besiktas here could uh, play at the similar a similar level to um, the display they they uh, they had in the reverse fixture, this could be you know not exactly a cakewalk for PSG. But uh, <clears throat> due to some injuries for the visitors, uh, I think I remember hearing the broadcast they were missing two of their first two central defenders, for example. Uh, that really wasn't much of a contest. Uh, Neymar, as he has so often, uh, you know, again, to give her degrees of success, certainly was full of enterprise. And, and uh, you know, as he had against Manchester United, took the game to them. And I think that gives him six goals in the Champions League. Uh, not a bad return for the group stage. And, and Mbappe sort of got the monkey off his back, too, scoring from the spot uh, and from open play as well. Give him uh, his, I believe, his first goals of 2020 uh, in this competition. So yeah, I think that you know uh, job well done for PSG they they were able to rotate their squad uh, you know to a decent amount as well decent extent rather as well uh, ahead of that match against Leon on Sunday, which you know of course is uh, given the two teams position in the table arguably their biggest of the um, the league campaign to date so yeah job done I don't think there's really too much more
0: to say about it um, than that um, yeah. How satisfied will PSG be with this tournament so far, this group stage? Obviously, they finish top in the end with 12 points, but they can't really forget those defeats to Leipzig and United. Will that really frustrate the PSG board? Because with the finance that they've got and the ambition of the club, they do want to be kind of clean sweeping these groups, don't they?
2: For the most part, I don't think it was a particularly impressive group stage, but I do think there's there's mitigating circumstances this year and obviously although Leipzig only sort of finished their season I guess like five days behind um, PSG last year because they got to the, the semi-final of the, of the final eight, um, I think it is still relatively reasonable to give PSG a little bit of leeway kind of slowly getting into the season um, and it was only sort of well, a couple of matches ago that that PSG looked probably third favourites to qualify and even going into the last match or well, going into the last match day before it was postponed, I guess, um, it still wasn't certain. So it wasn't it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't the way that they'd have envisaged it, but they've got to be happy with the way the last couple of weeks have gone. In the league and in in Europe they seem to be sort of gathering a little bit of momentum um, I think probably United did them a favor by imploding in a couple of matches um, but the main thing is they're through topping the group is is an added bonus um, and as Eric said it's sort of a confidence booster of a, of a final match winning that comfortably Mbappe um, getting his goals which I think people have been focused a little bit too much on because I think to be fair to him at least in the Champions League I think he's been adding other elements to his game and, and even when he hasn't been scoring I think he's still been involved in a lot of goals um, I mean the only just because um, <laughs> it's difficult for me to 100% compliment PSG without any criticism this was basically a gala match. They knew that they were topping the group already. So, you know, it's great for players like Neymar to turn up for a match like that. It's great for for Verratti to actually be on the pitch for once. And we sort of saw how, how great both of them can be. But, you know, for the kind of caliber of player they are, we need to be seeing that. We need to be seeing Neymar perform like that later in the season. And we need to see Verratti either fit or not suspended later
0: in the season. Yeah, but Jeremy, th- those defeats on the record to Leipzig and United must be blemishes so far, you know, with the ambition and the finance that PSG have, have put into this squad so far, yeah?
2: I'd say probably, if anything, there might... Maybe there are blemishes for Tuchel, not that it matters, because I think he's probably dead man walking, and probably, if anything, Leonardo's a bit frustrated maybe that they did get through, so he hasn't got an excuse to sack him early. But... Um, you know like i said it's not ideal but the fact is they they've come through the group unscathed they're top of the group maybe they're a little bit more battle-hardened than previous years where they've actually sailed through the group and then struggled and they've got to the qualifying stages of uh, the um, knockout stages so it's not ideal but it doesn't matter it's kind of all in the past and and they move on now
0: mm. thomas potential winners of the tournament <laughs> Why have you got to put me in a situation?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: I <laughs> um, left that one
0: for you
3: specifically. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. Um, uh, I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, how, how do you think they compare to then the team of of last season? You know, the team that did get to the to the Champions League final. And when you get into the Champions League final, it's kind of a coin toss. I take it, but ten, depending on who wins. You know, how do they compare to that team? Uh, I think not far different in terms of squads, but.
3: Yeah, I think probably if you'd asked me that question not long ago, probably two, two, three weeks ago, I would have said that the the way they didn't the, the, I've never seen them play as a, a collective since really last season um, and it was only in that Manchester United game probably where I saw that come back again um, and since since last season, they've just been a little bit disjointed in, in the way they've played, and they've, they've relied on some individual brillian, brilliance in comparison to what I saw last season, which was
0: a more unified PSG. Um, so, yeah. Um, Eric, how about you? Potential winners in, in your book? Um, you know, that's an interesting question,
1: because I know that... Um, you know obviously we've had the saw since this new season started that is new post-final the Bayern Munich are the best team in Europe but I feel like uh you know their performances in the league a little bit of luster has come off them um you know not that I don't think what Hansi Flick is doing there is effective and they're not in the Arsenal top of the Bundesliga if I recall correctly but you know they conceded three at the weekend to Leipzig who you know we saw PSG handle fairly comfortably. Uh, yeah, the contenders, I, I don't think they're favorites. I, I think I would still put, um, you know, certainly uh, Liverpool injuries, p- pending injuries uh, in that mix. Um, you know, Chelsea seem to be grained of the season as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, they're, but they're definitely in a, you know, luck is as much a part of the Champions League, or any not competition as, is, as his skill. And I think that, um, yeah, th- there's... I think, more effective attacking options. I think we've seen with Moise Ken that uh, he is certainly a, a more versatile and effective attacker than is Mauro Icardi. And I think that that's a huge that makes a huge difference. Um, you know, Obviously, Cavani, through injuries and, and form, was not that effective last season. And I think that in terms of a different squad, going back to that, that, that he is an upgrade over Cipomote, Icardi, Cavani, uh, other players who would have been in that position last season. Does present a bit of a problem, I and mean, there's so there's something in um, in the keep. I believe it was yesterday, <clears throat> or maybe on Wednesday. But yes, yesterday was Wednesday. Sorry, long week. Um, you know, just talking about the the place of Anhely Maria in the team. You know, a player who is, you know, so consistent and and, and so brilliant. But uh, the fact that he's been dropped just shows just how potent this attack is. And I think that is something that needs to be underscored that um, PSG kind of seemed to be getting better. Um, you know, if they can get some consistency from that, their midfield three and, um, you know, I, uh, get, you know, I mean, maybe, you know, more experience for Mitchell Bakker, more experience for Colin Dogba, yeah, they they could certainly be in the mix. Uh, I'm not ready to call them a favourite, but I think they've got to be in the top three or four sides in Europe right now.
0: Jeremy, you, you mentioned earlier that you think Thomas Tuchel's a bit of a dead man walking. Um, do you think he's got the... the capabilities of being a Champions League winning manager or are there other factors that kind of play into it when you are the manager of PSG you know you've got a lot of people above you and a lot of people below you that you've kind of got to manage around if you are going to go and be a really successful coach at that club aren't you? Uh,
2: yeah I mean I've said loads of times before I kind of feel sorry for anyone doing that job because I think Leonardo and Al pretty much running things and I'm not sure about the competence of either of them um, Tuchel I think has shown a lot of his flaws the last couple of years but um arguably the the turning point of the of the group stage for them was his tactical switch against against United um which really turned the match just at a moment when they were sort of under the cosh a little bit so actually although it might not help him in terms of the people above him i think that's um he's come out i think he he arguably has come out of out of this group stage or at least the couple, last couple of matches um possibly with his reputation a little bit restored um, but i mean for me whether he's good or not or not is irrelevant to an extent i just think if psg's starting 11 gets to sort of the semi-final final stages at the top of their form then they've got a good chance because they've got two or three match winners in their team but i still feel that the team in general and certainly the squad is nowhere near good enough i still think that Virati aside and generally you can't rely on him i still think it's a very average midfield um navas i think has been by far their player of the season um which considering they've already dropped quite a few points in the league by their standards I think it could have been a lot worse without him Um, so I'm not confident that they could win but I agree with Eric that there's other teams like Bayern like Liverpool to an extent certainly in terms of injuries although they're hitting great form at the moment in the league Um, I just it's a very quirky season because it's more or less run on from last season so the teams that You'd expect to to be at the final stages are knackered and not fit, so it may well be a case of sort of who have got the the best players left standing by next May.
0: Just before we move on, Thomas, as a result of PSG finishing top of their group, they're of course a seeded team, so they will face one of the eight unseeded teams uh, in the next round they won't be able to play against Leipzig because they were in the same group as them but their options for the next round and the round of 16 in the knockout round are Atletico Borussia Mönchengladbach Porto Atalanta Sevilla Lazio or Barcelona Thomas who who do you think is going to be which of those clubs will they be hoping for most I imagine Porto are going to be a big one because they're the only club not from a, a top five league there, but, but who would you see as is the is the best option for them if they want to keep progressing in the tournament, Thomas?
3: Oh so, Yeah,
0: Porto, I mean, Porto, like you said,
3: um, we've seen them already, I mean, they, they beat Marseille, but... I was going to say, we but, say that, yeah. but then they did really well against Marseille. So. Well, that was, I mean, do we actually... Count that has been you can't really avoid it because it's Marseille, but they did, it, yeah, they did, play, <laughs> did, it, did, it, did it play well. Um, I'm not sure all them teams are, are beatable for PSG, and I think the fact that we place um, perhaps more emphasis on which teams are playing is, is sort of a sign that we know that PSG can. Can have hiccups against teams, and and we've we've seen this, you know, many times in the past. So um I'm honestly not got a pick from there. I'd like to see Lazio play against PSG. I think that'd be quite a fun game.
0: Mm. Lazio Atalanta would be pretty fun. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I think if you're looking at that to be honest and a, a small part of me says they want Barca in the next round just to keep the kind of romantic relationship that they've had in the last few years that anyone's yeah. had and obviously yeah. have <laughs> that idea that you can bite back and all that jazz. Maybe, maybe that may be a bit. that a simple, would be
3: fun least, actually especially cuz Barcelona are in a bit of a a complete mess at the moment.
0: <laughs> so everyone keeps telling you me could have, honestly. Yeah, you you could
3: could have have Messi's Leonardo. audition for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> El coming from the
0: stands and West. That might be a t- that might be a, a, a tasty matchup. Yeah, so the, mm-hmm. a lot of good teams that PSG could get in that draw. But let's move on to the other French side that did manage to get out of their group stage, and that is Lille. They managed to. Finish second in their group behind Milan due to a loss tonight. 3-2 against Celtic. McGregor, Julian and Turnbull getting the goals for Celtic with Timothy Weir getting on the score sheet, remember him? And Jonathan Iconi for Lille. Eric, that's got to be a bit of a disappointing end to affairs because it has been a very successful group stage so far. You know, wins against uh, Milan, impressive performances elsewhere. So for them not to finish top of the group, they've maybe got to go away from that with a bitter taste in the mouth, Eric.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's be fair. Galt's taken out for the game. My goal is, first of all, to arrest the most tired players. We saw that you saw him do that with... Uh, how he the defenders, uh, not starting Botman, bringing, bringing uh, um avoid injury, you know, and then, you know, make a competitive match of it. Um, yeah. That shows that, you know, this squad has depth. This squad remains a threat uh, in this competition. I think we've seen with the way that they've, you know, playing a, you know, decidedly second choice uh, squad against against Celtic having already qualified you know yeah the results disappointing I think they would have liked to have gone through top especially given their results against Milan but I think on the on the whole you know it's a pretty solid outing uh for Le Dog and Christophe Galtier. um you know again you know they've they they have yet to have Ronaldo Sanchez come back from injury um they've had issues with thepps at, at right back. Uh Zeki Shelley's yet to come back as well. So uh, given the injuries he's ha- he's dealt with and the adaptations he's had to make, you know, playing Thiago Jallo at right back, uh, against good performances out of Ronaldo on the other flank, uh it's yeah, it's a disappointing result, but it's um it's also you know, it's also something that I think is uh is testament to again to his ability to not only balance the squad but get to get Performance is that three goals is a little frustrating, I think. But again, you know, I think the Celtic players, uh, the young Celtic younger players, uh, 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 Turnbull in particular, was really impressive tonight having watched the match. Yeah, I think those younger players, you know, playing for a team whose season is in somewhat of a bit of disarray, uh, are going to be hungrier and have a bit between their teeth, perhaps a little bit more than would all of Lille's squad i mean certainly we saw that um with for example waya playing a strong match but i think on the balance of things you know disappointing result but um you know, a group stage that Lille can be proud of given their position both in the table uh and having qualified uh, you know again Celtic are, have fallen on hard times this season for sure but uh you know to have you know beaten milan on aggregate in their two matches uh There's nothing to sneeze about given the season that they've had so far.
0: Mm. So so with this being the only other French team still in Europe, you know, Marseille and and Nice and Rennes are all out at this moment. We'll come on to them in a moment. I also want to get an idea of how far Lille could go in the Europa League, Jeremy. You know, Lille have already showed this season in the tournament that they are of this quality. You know, sometimes that is the that is the issue when clubs get into European competition, especially ones that haven't really been there for a very long time. You go, oh, how are they going to be able to, to match up against teams? You know, you look at Marseille and no offence to them, but they were way off it. But Lille have showed their quality in several games. They, You know, a win at San Siro kind of stands out, I guess, for me. But in your opinion... How, how should Lille be approaching this tournament? Should they be going, we're one of the big hitters here, or do they need to be a bit more pragmatic, Jeremy? Um, I suppose it, it depends a little bit on the draw and
2: and how their league form is going, but I I genuinely think they've had a the the thing is it's, it's generally been the, the matches straight after European matches, which actually I suppose have been most of them recently, but um, What I'm trying to say is I think Lille have been really impressive in the league and I I genuinely think that um, everything always is in PSG's hands but if they carry on the patchy form that we've seen for the beginning of this season, I I really think Lille could be contenders this year, Um, certainly dark horses and and so I, I think it depends how both tournaments progress and it would be lovely to see them have a good European run and Okay, despite the fact they only got I think one point from six against Celtic, the fact that they they performed so well against Milan, who themselves are having a fantastic season in in an increasingly strong I think um, Serie A, shows that they 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 can sort of hold their own, um, and not only that, but we'll come to it in a minute, have actually got the the balls to to try to hold their own, unlike some others um, in in Europe. So it would be nice to see them go deeper into the competition, but um, if a, a genuine sort of title challenge develops in League A, I don't think anyone would begrudge them sort of deciding to put all their eggs in that basket.
0: Thomas Christophe Galtier you know, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, that someone on this podcast said that you know he's one of the few French managers to have got it right this season. You know, being able to balance the league action against the European action. I think it was Philip um mm. saying that. Do you see him as a manager then that can have the experience, can have the nous, can have the the little edge that can get Lille far in this tournament? You know, it's not like Rennes have gone into this tournament and it's a completely, a, a very inexperienced manager. You know, Christophe Galtier you now, he's, he's, he's been about for a while with Lille and with San Etienne. Is, yeah. is he, what I'm saying, is he the right guy to take them into this Europa League campaign? One that they could go quite far in as much as they may be a little bit off the the group of clubs that are looking to win it. Well, I think, yeah, he's, I mean, he's been, he's been,
3: um, he's competed in Europe before with with etienne in the past. And and he just seems, I mean, in comparison to to a few teams we've seen from France in Europe recently, mm-hmm. he just seems much more uh, able to adapt to European competition. And especially with, you know, the actual, this, the squad he has, we saw it tonight, the, you know, they competed well against a, a good Celtic, well, a Celtic side, um, and they did show that they have, you know, a reasonable good amount of depth in to, let's say, Marseille, how they've done. Um, they've got a, not much um, in, in terms of depth, but but Lille do have, you know, you you have, I, I mean, I, to be honest, I forgot about Weyer the, at the club. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been there, uh, even though it's been popping up, but, um, and obviously they've got, You know Andre, and then you've got Zeca on the bench, and just got a a good amount of depth, especially in in midfield areas, in comparison to I think all the clubs we've seen um, from Liga in the past, where they do
0: usually have quite a fixed starting eleven. So Lille then go into the next round as an unseeded team uh, in the Europa League due to them finishing second. I'm not gonna spend all day here going through all the teams they could go up against because there's about 40 groups in the Europa League but you know th- there will be some key teams that they'll be eyeing up more than others you know Tottenham they won't want to go near Villarreal they won't want to go near uh, Leicester probably won't want to go near as well uh, maybe a, a PSV or a Rangers or, or one of those teams they might be eyeing up but there's a lot of options that they could uh, get involved with a lot of teams that they will be going up against when the draw happens. Let's go into the section that many people would be dreading if you're a fan of any of these teams. The teams that didn't qualify is how I've got it in my notes. Marseille, Nice and Rennes. I kind of want to take a bit of a general look at how those clubs have performed this season in Europe because it was a big season for a lot of them, you know, Marseille, historically, first time in, in ages going in with this new manager, or not new manager, but a manager that achieved a lot last season. Wren were going into it with a young manager, a young squad, a, a, a team that had a lot of finance put into it. And Nice were, well, if they were there. They were definitely there. Uh, <laughs> but the other teams had a lot of stature behind this. So with none of these teams qualifying, Eric, I'll, I'll start with you. Who do you think embarrassed themselves the most during this European run out of Marseille, Nice and Rennes? Not Rennes. Um, I think
1: that uh, given how young this side is, um, given the lack of experience they have in this competition, and the fact they did put in, you know, pretty valiant performances, I think by and large, uh, you know, some bad luck. Uh, you know, that match that where that Dalbert was sent off. There's a penalty there. Um, you know, the last second, the header by Giroud. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, an opportunistic goal, way to Krasnodar. Um, yeah, I don't think Ren, you know, and, and given the absence they've had to uh, Garrett and Terrier being out with um, COVID, uh, you had Gomis missing matches through injury uh, by Nyang. And I know Garassi was brought in the summer, but Young was our leading scorer last season, but things have looked different with him. Um, yeah, and they were also again relying on some on several key uh, Kamavinga missed a match or two, if I recall correctly. Um, you know, they were also relying on some younger players to to be effective. You had Batumawasa. There's another one. And otherwise, doku uh, was their record signing. Um, you know, has looked bright in patches, but hasn't uh, hasn't exactly come off the way you might expect. Uh, Yanga Boho had seen a lot of playing time as well. Um, yeah, I don't think any of need to describe themselves. I think, I yeah, well, I mean, I huh, it's a really tough question. I think Nice. Um, I think that, uh, one could make the argument that the the last second loss to Olympiacos from Marseille was a, a a bit of a sucker punch, um, and that perhaps you know, Porto were better than anybody had estimated in this competition. Um, but Nice, aside from Bayer Leverkusen, you know, have invested heavily in the summer. Marseille hadn't. Um, we're playing, you know, I, th- I think team, I mean, again, I'm not trying to cast aspersions because the results are what they are. But if you were to say, okay, you're going to face Bayer Leverkusen, a team from the Czech League, and a team from the Israeli League, what are you going to say about, uh, Nice's chances to progress, and I think that the fact that uh, Patrick Vera was let go in the wake of this really underscores that fact. I, so I think it's got to be Nice. Um, because even if we're you know we're we're sort of going into this blind, we also have to think of the fact that you know perhaps Andrei Bush is looking at this and saying, well, okay, uh, after say the first two results, I, I don't have what I need to progress. Uh, it's, it's going to be challenging. But uh, I can still make a fist of the league. Uh, nice did neither, so at least there's there's you know some some balm to salvage uh, Marseille's wound there. But yeah, I, I think it's got to be it's got to be Nice given the, the level of their opponents and how how poor they were defensively, um, how shocking they were
0: defensively. I'm not gonna lie, I'm a bit surprised by the answer. I was I was definitely waiting for Mar, for Marseille in that one. When you go through some of the performance they've had, you know, I mean, I guess you can always say like the teams that they've they've come up against. You know, you said Porto there, how good they've been this season. They they played City, but you know, t- games against Olympiacos, they only scored two goals, both were penalties. I I think Marseille have got a lot to answer for here Jeremy who who do you think had a more embarrassing campaign out of the three teams Ren probably not due to the kind of points that Eric said but of Nice and Marseille who do you think embarrassed themselves a little bit more Jeremy
2: I'm with Eric I think Nice I mean it's it's a relatively close call but I think Nice did because um, first of all Marseille's group was I'm not you know definitely not easy and and um, But all all the teams pose a a kind of challenge, you know, even if Porto and Olympiacos aren't necessarily the greatest teams in Europe, they're both sort of um, regulars in the Champions League and and know a little bit more about kind of what it takes. So... uh, there's no disgrace in, in I think possibly losing to those teams, but I'll come back to that in a sec. But um, yeah, Nice it was by Leverkusen were I think clearly favourites, but Nice should have looked at that league and thought, you know, we should run away with second place if you can run away with second place. <laughs> but you know they should they should be comfortable. Um, and you know, to lose both matches to Prague, to to lose to to Beersheba is is nowhere near good enough. Um, but in, t- in terms of Marseille and even Rennes, I mean, Marseille also I think have the mitigating circumstances that they just massively overachieved last year. So by by all rights, they shouldn't really have been in the Champions League. I mean, they they absolutely earned their place, but I don't think it's a Champions League quality um, team or squad, which they weren't even able to, to strengthen over the summer. So I think they were always going to struggle and ren yeah i i agree that they they've been unlucky with injuries and they've been unlucky with with certain things that happen in matches and it reminded me a little bit of Lille's campaign last year where i thought their performances were a lot better than the, their ultimate ultimate points total um uh, reflected but i just i just think you can sort of lump all three together to an extent with just i think generally it was just a very embarrassing campaign and and taking Marseille as an example I'm not sure the players necessarily should be embarrassed but I think Villas-Boas's attitude throughout was embarrassing I mean there are some very funny quotes in 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 post-match press conferences but generally they set a I thought disgracefully kind of defeatist tone um You've got, you know, after Rennes' first match, people patting themselves on the back because they got a draw at home to Krasnodar. Rennes finished third in the French League. The French League is meant to be one of the top five leagues. You know, we're talking about how it's reasonable to lose to Porto. The French League is meant to be stronger than the Portuguese League. Um, You know, Vincent Deluc sent a, a tweet to that effect say today kind of saying there's no shame in Rennes or Marseille losing to the likes of Chelsea or Sevilla or um, Man City and there's no shame in them not qualifying but you know to, to struggle against Krasnodar to get to struggle against Olympiacos whatever it's it's not good enough and I just think it's a general sort of attitude of a lot of these French teams going into Europe which I'm mystified by because they work so hard to get into Europe and then sort of chuck Europe in order to focus on the league in order to get into Europe again which doesn't make sense but I just generally think it's a it's a bad attitude and there there are people responding to Vincent Deluc's tweet saying you should show more respect to um, whatever the russian league or the greek league or the israeli league or whatever it is fine but then the french then the french teams should act in a way that make the sort of top four leagues show them more respect i just basically there's no self-respect for a lot of these french teams um, and i just think that attitude stinks that you know you look at Lyon, who obviously had their, I'm not certainly not saying they're sort of paragons of virtue, but at least you can say that the last two, three years, they've kind of stood up against the big teams. You see Lille, who went into the matches against Milan with an attitude, you know, we can win this. Um, and all the teams, we, again, we saw it last year with Lyon and Man City, even the top teams in Europe, if you kind of don't bow bow down to them, they can be got at we saw it in the group stages this year you look at you know i i mean i think the german teams are a a good model for a hell of a lot of things in general um but you know mitch and gladbach didn't sort of um cower against the likes of uh i can't remember who was in their group now was it inter real madrid um and and they got what they deserved out of it i just I just think it was sort of shameful the the poor attitude the kind of look we're just happy to be here we're, we're you know tourists and we're going to get some nice air miles or whatever and 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 then we'll, we'll focus on on Liga again I don't think it's good enough I don't think it's doing the reputation of the league any favors you know we all have to um, <laughs> As, as fans of League 1 are always having to combat this whole Farmers League rubbish and all that kind of thing. But it would be nice if the players and the teams and the coaches themselves did a little bit more to, to defend themselves as well.
0: I think that's the first Farmers League mention of the season, of the, of the new season. So congratulations, Jeremy. Uh, it's, it must, must be a little bit of a record, actually. We've gone this far without anyone saying Farmers League. I'm just trying to rack my brain, but I don't think they have. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Thomas, I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we had Philip Bargiel on, and he's obviously French, and and he was talking about this, saying kind of agreeing with with what you're saying, Jeremy, that it's a bit of a, I don't know, maybe a a cultural issue, like this this French idea that he, he was saying that, Teams would turn up for their big games on the Saturday and the Sunday and whatnot and then kind of just stroll into their matches on the Wednesday with weakened with weekend squads or, or squads that had played 90 minutes a couple days before. And, and it just doesn't work. And I think that can kind of hold back a lot of the French teams. I know what you mean, uh, Jeremy. Like, look at Wren. They played against FC Krasnodar. Krasnodar are ninth in the Russian league and they barely took a point off them. You know they they lost the other day and then they drew at the start of the of the campaign like that's not this kind of cutting mentality that these teams should be going into this tournament with like I, I agree I think a lot of the teams went in with a defeatist mentality Marcy said that several times and and Neeson and nice and Wren showed showed parts of that as well and even Lille uh, not taking maximum points off of Celtic like I've seen Celtic play a lot of times this season. They are rotten at times. And Lille definitely should've have, should have went in and then thumped them. Yeah, you could say that weakened teams and weakened squads and they'd already gone through, but like I, I think there is a an issue with the mentality of, of not going into these group stages and being like, okay, we're gonna get we're gonna get, what is it, eighteen points? Nine plus nine is eighteen. Last time I checked. We're gonna get eighteen points. You know what I mean? I think a lot of these clubs go in with a bit of a defeatist mentality and it can hold the back. And as we see with Marseille, Nice, Andren, it has held them back so you know maybe they maybe they got what they deserve to taste their own medicine uh, let's move on to our second to final part of the podcast Excuse me. We are going to be previewing a match for the first time in a while. I believe that is the name of the podcast, the preview show. Uh, we're going to be previewing Dijon against Nantes. Dijon at the moment currently sit 20th bottom in Ligue 1 and Nantes at 14th, but Nantes are the team we kind of want to focus on in this one as just of a few days ago Christian Gourcuff lost his job with the team sitting in the lower mid part of the table. Thomas Christian Gurkuf, he's the seventeenth manager in fourteen seasons under Keita since he's kind of took over the club. Your reaction to the sacking, Thomas?
2: Finally.
0: <laughs> no, probably not. Um, I think that the
3: the bigger issue at Nantes is really Keita. Um, I'm not sure how much we spoke about in the past, but I think it was always this is always sort of on the horizon for Gorkuf, and and even though that, you know, non every year they, they seem to not really be um any in trouble of relegation. They just sort of have to scrap enough to, to get enough points. But if you look at the side themselves, you know, they've got quite a few really decent um talents. We know Ludovic blair has been around in League on for ages. He's still young and he's still very talented. You know, Marcus Coco in round loser, um, especially uh, Randall Colomwani, who's really impressed me. So they've got quite a few decent players there. Um, it's just what the well, it just I guess it depends on who who comes in, but they've they've been poor um, for sure. And, and I think maybe the underperformance of some of these players is
0: maybe down to to Goku. Eric, do you think he deserved to go in the end? Yeah,
1: you know, I, I think that the the players just mentioned there. I I think absolutely. I you know, oh, I was talking, I was listening to on the continent the football ramble offshoot there the other day, and they were talking about Manuel Pellegrini as being someone who has old ideas, and I, I think that Christian Gorku fits into that that mode as well. Someone who, mm. you know, I, I think tried to do the right thing. going back to his teams at L'Oreal and they had some exciting players. I think about Kevin Gamero, Jeremy uh, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, uh, Gignac had come through there as well. Um, I'm sorry, not Gignac. Um, sorry. Sorry. Scratch that. Um, but anyway, I, Gorku's teams had, had, had tried to play, you know, quote unquote football the right way. Uh, and I, 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 don't know. I think that his uh, insistence on trying to stick to that in in the current climate just really has not worked out. Um, and it's uh, it's a shame. You know, he has a has had a really decorated career, and I think was you know 66, 65. I don't know that there's another chance in in the offing for him. Um, nor should there be. Uh, it's just disappointing mm-hmm. to see you know, manager who who did so much and, and who did achieve so much. Um you know, I, he had a bad spell at Ren as well. So it, it's it's sort of an ignominious end to his career and it's disappointing to see. But uh I think it is well, it's well measured, it's well deserved on his part as an individual. But again, I mean gosh, you really have to feel for the fans of not where this club has gone under the stewardship of Kita is it's I mean, there's not another word for it other than heartrending. If you if you think about you know, where this club were, uh, the reputation that they have for bringing players through, for winning titles, you know, 15, 20 years ago, uh, being European regulars to, you know, the bourgeois has, you know, fantastic atmospheres. It's one of the best grounds in France I've never been, but this is the impression I get. Uh, you know, there's always brilliant TIFOs there, lots of noise when there are fans in the ground. Um, and I think, you know, it's, there are an integral part of that, you know, that Breton culture around football that is so brilliant, um, and I think that what we're seeing now, what we're seeing now with you know how much of a basket case this club have been uh, under Kita and and you know how uh, the decisions they have made in on a sporting sense, uh, you know have just been you know really horrendous. I mean, obviously there is sort of the albatross of the tragic uh, loss of uh emiliano sala and and sort of the fallout from that because it has you know again someone's passing should never take precedence over over finances but that has had an effect on the closed finances so that is still being litigated um and i think some of the players brought in uh you know in recent years have really really underwhelmed especially relative to the transfer fees think about renault Raymond, um i know he struggled with injury um uh, who's the winger in Bombay. I believe he was the, the record signing Oh yeah. Up upon mm. his arrival. You know, again, injuries it may be a factor there, but, you know, would he get into that team given the form of Bomba, for example? Um, just really, uh, you know, Gorkoof is the fall guy here, but the, the mismanagement at that club is from the top down, and I think Keita needs to look in the mirror and to see what the problem is because it's it's, again, to me, you know, a club with tradition, history, passion – you know, I I'm always gonna have a soft spot for that team and hope that they do well. You know, I'm not a Nantes fan, but I think, you know, like a Marseille, like a Saint-Étienne, even though they're rivals of the club that I support, Lyon, um, I'm s i am still want them to do well because I think that makes the League more attractive, both on and off the pitch in terms of its fan culture.
3: Yeah, I think I think I saw um a statistic that since Kita took over, they've changed managers for- I think it's 14 times and compared to other league and teams I think the next up was I think Lance on 10 and there was quite a few in sort of the easy single digits but I mean 14 changes over the course of you know 13 years is is not not a sustainable sustainable model really.
0: Thomas, go on, see see what you want to see, because I saw that I saw that graphic as well. <laughs> All right. And okay. who hey, was yeah. right at the bottom of it? Who just, was right at the yeah,
3: bottom of it? Just down the road in Angers, they've only changed coach once. <laughs> okay, that's my Angers. I think I'm done now. Bye.
0: I was waiting for him <laughs> to. I was waiting for him to kind of. Just, you know, bring it off and stuff. But he never went on it. I was like, no, yeah. he definitely wants to say it. I'm <laughs> going to get a message after it if I didn't let him say it. <laughs> um, Thomas Wiseman, would you be surprised to hear that in 2014, by prestigious magazine France Football, Waldemar Kita was named the best executive in French football? What? That's what I found today. That's what I found during my research today.
3: I mean, must be some points some strings, but <laughs> it was very interesting.
0: It was Must have
1: been the fee he got selling uh, Encu to Marseille.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh wow, yeah. Um, with this job, we've seen Lauren Blanc linked with it, and then he rejected the job. Jeremy Smith, is there, is there any names that, that spring to mind for you at the moment of, of someone who could take over this job? Either someone that is in a job at the moment or maybe Nantes could kind of buy out their contract or a bit of a free agent kicking about at the moment. I'm, I'm trying to think of prestigious people in, in French football and, and world football as a whole who would be up for this kind of Nantes job at the moment, Jeremy.
2: Um, I'd say it's probably between Allegri and Pochettino. No. Um, <laughs> I... <laughs> I mean, anyone half-decent should not be looking to go to Nantes at the moment because of all the reasons you've, you've all just gone through. Keith, sorry for the phone in the background. Um, Keith is just a complete basket case. And um, it's, as, as Eric said, it, it's, I mean, it's sad in any case, but particularly when you look at Nantes' sort of rich tradition of being a, a um, for a successful club first of all but also a club that promotes really good football promotes um the development of of players from the youth team into the first team and we're just not seeing enough of that and yeah it's true that there are some good players there um Bamba and Simon probably haven't hit the heights of last season yet but two more decent players to, to add to the list even sort of Palo and Girotto they have their moments but um you know solid defenders or Converted defenders. There, there's there's players there that, that should be able to, if not push for Europa League, certainly be comfortably in the top half of the table. And it's just everything around the club, um, which which I think is is holding the the playing side back. Um, in terms of Gukuf, I I quite like that um the comparison with with Pellegrini. I think um because i adore him i've read a lot of (laughs) opinion pieces over the years uh, about Johan goku and and how you know a lot of the he's sort of very kind of melancholic nostalgic character who basically just doesn't like football and what modern football represents and that it arguably affected his form or his his sort of view of his injuries if you want and he probably got a lot of that a lot of that tone was probably set by his dad and and um although he was, you know, I suppose as soon as you're appointed by Kita, you're you're in trouble, and you you need great results, and certainly Gorku's results haven't been as good as they should have been. You, it almost feels like, you know, putting putting an animal out of its misery or something. I mean, he just, I feel like he probably. Would almost see it as a relief and be quite pleased to get out of football. Just the, the way he he talks about yeah. it, the way he carries himself, I think it's true. I think he's kind of lost in in the very modern world of football, and and it's probably uh, a blessing in disguise for him that, that he's out of there. um But in terms of who could come in, I I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> tends to say someone like I right? <laughs> <laughs> It's Garvin Axel kicking around. Yeah, I mean an ex player, that that would make sense if, if he wanted to, but he's another who certainly I think, you know, wants to make sure that he has a proper say yeah. over everything yeah. to do with the playing side. Um, you know, if they if they wait till the summer, there could be a couple of of, of good coaches from from League who might be tempted to to make the move. You know, for example, if someone like um I don't know if, if Ozair didn't get promoted for whatever reason. Jean-Marc Fourlan I still think is a uh, fantastic yeah. coach, and and he plays the way that non should be yeah. playing. Oh, really I fun wish him on well. Keita or Keita on him. Mm-hmm.
3: What was that, Thomas? saying in has been
0: really fun uh, this year. Yeah, the, I mean, winter. I mean, you're trying to think like what type of finances are they going to be thrown about? What what? What um category of manager are they gonna be going into? Obviously they didn't get Lauren Blanc, but Lauren Blanc I would imagine is quite an expensive coach generally, so if they are even put the job to him then they must can be I, can I throw a, a one bit, up, bit of money towards it. Uh, Jeremy Toulavant.
1: I don't know if he's taken his coaching badges, but uh, a former player, I think someone who has an immense amount of respect in the game, mm. uh, you know, is well known for his you know, character organizational organizational principles. In terms of his positional nous on the pitch, um, if you want someone who's cheap who could, you know, motivate players, he's got lots of experience as a leader, immensely uh, decorated player, you know, thirty uh, odd caps for France, Champions the experience uh, with Lyon. Um, I don't know, could be could be worth a flyer. Uh, I think you you are going to have to go the league do route or the inexperienced manager route. I don't think that again, someone like Gorbachev, someone like um, Blanc, you know managers that have experience in Liga, extensive experience in Liga are, are not going to go near that job, or ought not to I should say.
2: Mm. I mean, maybe like Vie- maybe Vieira wants to bounce back, right back but with all the politics <laughs> that
0: he's had to contend oh with <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen mm. I think I'd quite enjoy seeing that actually No, no you wouldn't, would you? No, I think <laughs> About that... it. Going from awful football to awful football. Yeah, that seems like a good deal. That definitely seems like a good deal. Let, let's let's finance that. Dude, we're talking about Nantes here. Like, come on, like, don't say it too loud or or Kito will be at your window right now going, hey, that's quite a good idea. He's on the phone to Jeremy then. I mean, <laughs> the ringing one. Um, okay, gents. Nantes are facing off against Dijon this weekend. Just before we finish up, Patrick Collo, who has been the assistant manager of Nantes in the past, he's also this is also his second stint as caretaker. He'll be taking. Over this match. Obviously, it's a little bit difficult sometimes to judge teams when they're under temporary managers. But going up against Dijon, Thomas, how, how do you see this one finishing? Do you think not have the squad uh, to bounce back, get that kind of bounce that you sometimes get when they do get rid of a manager that has been seen as damaging to the squad, damaging to the team? Do you think they will be able to get a win in this one against 20th place Dijon? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Especially with the players they've got. Maybe they can.
3: Sort of, I don't know. It's sort of like <laughs> they've they've emerged from the cupboard. They've been locked in a little bit, um, <laughs> and because uh, there is, I mean, obviously we we talk about not having a, a really rich history, and you still look at the squad, and they've got quite a few players that have actually come through um the academy. One is one of them. So I mean, there is like the, obviously we said the big issue there is Keita, but in terms of the actual squad it's it's pretty well it's in an okay condition. Um so they'll be definitely looking to bounce back against a uh a struggling Dijon. Gimme a score line quickly. Um
0: So I'll say one oh no let's go two one. Two none. Two none. Okay. Eric quickly a a little score line before we finish up.
1: Um uh, I think
0: one one all. Uh, i, I
1: got to say, you know, looking at Dijon's recent results, I know they've not exactly played a, a murderer's row of opponents, but, um, you know, they've, you know, creditable draw uh, away to mess, Um you know, uh, clean sheets uh, against saint Etienne and, and Lorient. Again, I know these are poor teams, uh, but, you know, they're not including these, mess in that. <laughs> well mess i mean mess mess had that run what was it a seven or eight matches unbeaten
2: yeah no i'm teasing
1: um <laughs> no I, I i think you know again i think the mess have. gosh he, if neon hasn't didn't get hurt i mean they're you know probably europe's the bridge too far but they're certainly uh you know a more a far more attractive team to watch uh this season uh they have been recently unfortunately prior to neon's injury um but no, I think that um, Dijon have looked quite a bit sharper under under Linarès, and um, you know, probably will see this as an opportunity to mm-hmm. uh, pull clear of the uh, the drop zone. So let's say um, let's say a one 0 road one 0 to Dijon. <laughs> Mam <Balde laughs> to score.
0: Oh, oh I yeah, do yeah, like Mam Balde to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeremy Smith, quickly before we finish the scoreline. I'm a little bit torn for because. Uh, Dijon, yeah, they've lost
2: one of their last five. There has been a bit of an upturn in form there, but the only win was against an atrocious Nice. (laughs) Um, And I do think non-players, it annoys me when this happens, but there often is a bounce with a new coach because suddenly the players become motivated and are playing for their places. Um, So I'm unconfidently going to say non-win and... I was going to go 2-1, let's say 2-0.
0: Before I leave you today, I want to share with you an interview that I had earlier today with Kale Stockwell, who's a French football journalist. You may have heard in the last few days about a French football fiasco that's going on at the moment. That's how GFFN is like to term it. There has been an issue with the the French footballing authorities and their handling of the Ligue 1 and Ligue 2 rights deal that was recently signed by a new player in, in terms of the French television market for their football it has been a bit of a confusing ride for many people with this new company involved and the finances that have been involved. But luckily for me, Cael Talkwell is very well versed in this. So do listen to this excerpt from our interview where he is very adept at clearing up some of the mist around the situation with the French footballing TV rights at the moment.
4: I mean, I think uh the most important thing to stress first of all is just how important tv money is right now to football leagues and then therefore to football clubs uh in france um before the media pro deal which we'll talk about in a second football tv revenue amounted for almost 50 percent of all the revenue that teams take in so it's a huge huge aspect of the economics of every team uh so, effectively, what happened with this MediaPro deal is in 2019, it was time for the LFP to renegotiate their TV contract. Uh, up until that point, they had a contract domestically with uh, Canal Plus, who'd been their partner for some time. Uh, but then, this company called MediaPro, who, to be honest, hadn't really been in the rights game at all in Europe. Decide to come in and make an incredibly high bid, essentially to basically knock out the competition, Canal Plus and uh, be in Sport. And they bid what amounted to $1.15 billion per year for the rights to French football. At this point, I think a really important thing to note is that Media Pro had made a very, very similar bid for the Serie A rights in Italy. And Serie A gave them exclusive negotiating rights. But then as the conversations with them went on, they realized that MediaPro and their parent company, a company called Joy Media, were not able to provide Seria with bank guarantees. So ultimately, Seria bailed on the uh, exclusive rights negotiation and with MediaPro. They decided this was too risky a move to move away from their traditional partners to this sort of brand new guy, like flaunting a bunch of cash. So it looks like what MediaPro did was they moved on to the next best thing in their eyes, which was Liga. And they put to them a very similar deal, this $1.15 billion deal. And that would give them rights between 2020 and 2024. So <laughs> LFP negotiated without, from what we understand based on the reporting, without getting any guarantees from MediaPro. They were fine to go ahead with this agreement without the guarantees. And they sign it. They say this is a huge boon for French football. You know, the revenue is going to be driven up incredibly. You know, maybe there's an opportunity to keep more of your players. This was like a real economic plus for the league as they saw it at the time. Fast forward to last season and the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Canal Plus is already a little bit frustrated with. Uh, the LFP because they thought the media pro deal was not representative of the value of the rights. And uh, when they, when calls their season, Canal Plus cancels their contract and says, OK, well, we're not making the rest of our payments. This forces the league to go and start taking those loans from the French government to cover off the losses of that TV rights deal. But everyone is kind of comfortable with this idea of cancelling the season early because they know that The rights deal with MediaPro, which represents a substantial leap in earnings, is going to come in next season. So, you know, we're better to cut our losses, get out of this first season, hurry our way into next year. And in August, we'll be big payments for this new deal that we have. Unfortunately, what happened was MediaPro had a, a difficult time over the summer of pulling together the necessary pieces to provide a product that was going to cover off. The huge payment that they were forced to make to Ligue 1. This involved trying to find a broadcast partner because, keep in mind, Mediapro is new to France; they don't have any infrastructure set up on the ground, so they have to find a broadcast partner. And then they want to do an offering for what's called an OTT, which is an over-the-top service. That's like an it's similar to, you know, Netflix or Amazon Prime, something that you pay a weekly su- or a monthly subscription for, and you access through the internet. So, again, this means you've got to set all that stuff up. You've got to find someone to run it on a broadcaster. You've got to do all the work of putting together a production, which is no simple feat. Eventually, they get this all tied together. But even having done that, there are big question marks about their price point, you know, and can they attract enough subscribers to cover off the payments that they need to make to the league so it's not like this is a done deal going into august and attention are saying okay whatever we're all in the clear they've got this sorted out of course it doesn't last very long because in october media pro default on the second installment that they were supposed to make to liga or to the lfp sorry The default is because they are not liquid enough to make that second payment, which is a bulky payment. And they go to the LFP and they say, we want to renegotiate our contract because we can't afford this contract that we signed with you only a year ago. And they cite issues with the coronavirus pandemic and so on and so forth. I think a key key thing to understand is that a lot of this stuff was very foreseeable. You know, they... The SERIA passing because they couldn't do bank guarantees, and then the Moody, Moody's, the credit rating, rating agency, was downgrading the rating for Joy Media pretty consistently throughout the year, um, to the point that now it's actually rated at something called a Caa1, which is reserved for investments that are uh, that are highly dubious. You know, they're not, uh, they're concerning. They've raised questions, Moody raised questions about media Pro's liquidity long before the deal was signed. And after the deal was signed, really, it was kind of the whole thing's been a bit of a mess, frankly, and uh, the LFP is now kind of paying the price for that. You know, this past week, we saw reports, um, some people citing um, employees saying that the company that Telefoot, the uh, broadcaster or the, the channel that broadcasts it, wasn't going to be able to make it to the end of the week. Uh, some of those reports have been pulled back. Uh, people saying that, you know, they're maybe going to renegotiate. They're going to keep it, keep the lights on potentially until next week. But really the future is, is still fully in question. And uh, yeah, it's, it's big trouble for, for French football. I should add as well that, you know, the, um, There's this idea or there's this hope that if MediaPro defaults and LFP don't want to go with them, they can go back to Canal Plus or to another broadcaster. And the issue there is that Canal Plus doesn't have any real reason to negotiate with the LFP. The LFP are in a really tough spot, and they spurned Canal Plus earlier. Additionally, any deal that they're going to get from Canal Plus is going to be incredibly reduced compared to what they're getting and what teams have budgeted for with
0: this Media Pro deal? So let's go back a little bit. So Serie A, when they were they were contacted by MediaPro, this company who has for a, for a long while done TV and production in Spain, they've got a lot of offices across Spain as well as the Middle East and then they've recently got bought over in 2018 I believe by a Chinese equity firm which gave them a bit more money to go about and enter this kind of this football broadcasting world because I know that they've recently got involved in the production of the television for the Canadian Premier League, the new Canadian Soccer League that only formed in the last few years. But Serie A saw this company come to them, and they weren't 100% sure if this company could pay off this money that they were promising, this fantastic deal that they were going to be given to Serie A. And Serie A said, no, it's OK, we'll stick with our situation. Know. They move on to Ligun, and Ligun says, yeah, this money looks good, that's fine. And they didn't really confirm a lot of the a lot of the terms in in case. The company could pay the money, but you know, they said, looks good, let's cut this season quickly, go into the new TV deal, and we'll make all the money back then. And that sounds good. Do you think that this farce would have come about where the company isn't promising paying the money, they're thinking about going under? Do you think this would have happened in a non-Seria already had their queries about whether MediaPro could pay the deal, but this was before COVID? So do you think COVID has had a massive effect on that and their possibility to pay the finance to the league? Or Or do you think this would have happened either way The the company was already, you know, a bit fishy? The deal was already a bit fishy.
4: I mean, all the communication that I've had with spokespeople for Media Pro, they've indicated that this is just a byproduct of the coronavirus, that When the league was coming back and there were question marks, I put to them, you know, like, what's going on with this Moody's downgrade? What's going on with not being able to find BDU? Like, there are concerns, and they said, this is just a byproduct of the coronavirus. All this stuff will be, will shake out once uh, football comes back onto the pitch and we're able to provide them with a product. You know, we'll be fine, we'll be able to cover our payments. so, I mean, I think it would be disingenuous to say that coronavirus didn't have an impact on them not being able to make the payments in October. But uh, I think that is a little bit simplistic. I think obviously, Serbia had concerns about MediaPro and Joy Media's ability to pay this money because they they stopped the negotiation because the two companies were un or the parent company, Joy Media, was unwilling to underwrite the total cost of of the rights agreement. So if that was enough for them to back off, I think it does raise questions about, A, why did Liga not want these guarantees or look deeper into these guarantees? And then I also think that you have to look at this question of, did their price point really ever make sense? Were they ever going to get enough uh, subscribers to cover off this type of payment? You know, I guess what you're looking at is you're looking at a situation where they went and bought rights for such an inflated number over what Canal Plus was paying. I don't have the number right in front of me, but I think Canal Plus is paying something around 700 million euros uh, a year, and Mediapro went ahead and made a 1.15 billion dollar outlay. I mean that is an enormous percentage rise in 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 total rights value. And I think what Canal Plus was saying from the outset is this is not viable. This is not a reasonable amount of money to pay for legal rights. It might look really nice on paper, but this isn't going to work. It's not fiscally responsible. So I do think that even back then in 2019, before coronavirus, there were some serious legitimate questions about whether or not this was actually going to be a functional deal.
0: Okay. And uh, just the final question on this whole thing. So, there are a lot of doubts about Media Pro, what the future is with that. Let's let's assume some future then. Let's say the Media Pro deal fails, the company goes under, they basically get themselves out of the picture. Canal Plus, they've offered to potentially, you know, come back in and, and return as, as the as the rights holders and, and produce the the television programmes of the matches, and that would be fine. It would be a, a reduced fee compared to the one point five billion uh, 1.15 billion euros that was promised by MediaPro, Pro, but it would be something. If the Canal Plus deal was maybe staggered or it took a while to get over the line or there were more issues with that, what could the effects be on French clubs? How serious could it get? Are we talking of clubs going bankrupt? Of clubs going under? Or is it maybe not as serious a situation as that if the Canal Plus deal does take a bit of a time to get its wheels turning, if you know what I mean?
4: I think... It's a, it's a difficult thing to say for sure. I, I think if Canal Plus does come in and they are willing to sign a new deal, I wouldn't be shocked if the deal was for the same amount that they paid previously or for potentially even less, because now they have all the leverage with the LFP. Um, so they might even come into the room and say, look, we're not even going to give you what we gave you before, like take it or leave it sort of thing. If that deal is able to get over the line, I don't think we're looking at a situation where French clubs are going to go bankrupt. But what I do think it represents is a a significant missed opportunity. You know, the LFP didn't have to sign a $1.15 billion deal. They could have maybe raised their deal slightly with Canal Plus and still been in a comfortable position. But what you're looking at now is any team that was hoping to spend a bit more money keeping players had maybe a bit loftier designs in their future. Now they have to check all that. And we go back to, at the very best, the status quo. So, I mean, if they can get something done in sort of an expedited manner, if this media pro stuff all falls apart, which it is trending that way, to be honest, uh, then I don't think we'll see a lot of clubs going bankrupt. We might see some, you know, gap loans like the French government has been providing thus far. Um, but we're certainly not going to see the growth in in French football that everyone was hoping for or that was promised when the deal was initially signed in
0: 2019. And that is going to wrap up the podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in to another one of these preview shows. If you're looking for more information on all things French football in English, you can catch us on the website at getfootballnewsfrance.com or you can catch us on Twitter where we are very regular with our updates about all the goings on in French football that's at GFFN you can catch us there at GFFN. Today I was joined by Thomas Wiseman, Eric Devin and Jeremy Smith as they shared their fantastic French football knowledge with myself Louis McParlane. Once again thank you very much for listening I really do appreciate it and we'll see you in the next one.